0: Chapter 2, Part 2 of The Rainbow This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rainbow by D. H. Lawrence Chapter 2, Part 2 During the last months of her pregnancy, he went about in a surcharged, imminent state that did not exhaust itself. She was also depressed, and sometimes she cried. It needed so much life to begin afresh, after she had lost so lavishly. Sometimes she cried. Then he stood stiff, feeling his heart would burst, for she did not want him. She did not want even to be made aware of him. By the very puckering of her face, he knew that he must stand back, leave her intact, alone for it was the old grief come back in her the old loss the pain of the old life the dead husband the dead children this was sacred to her and he must not violate her with his comfort for what she wanted she would come to him he stood aloof with turgid heart he had to see her tears come fall over her scarcely moving face, that only puckered sometimes, down under her breast that was so still, scarcely moving, and there was no noise, save now and again, when with a strange somnambulant movement she took her handkerchief and wiped her face and blew her nose, and went on with a noiseless weeping. He knew that any offer of comfort from himself would be worse than useless, hateful to her, jangling her. She must cry, but it drove him insane. His heart was scalded, his brain hurt in his head. He went away out of the house. His great and chiefest source of solace was the child. She had been at first aloof from him, reserved. However friendly she might seem one day, the next she would have lapsed to her original disregard of him, cold, detached, at her distance. THE FIRST MORNING AFTER HIS MARRIAGE, HE HAD DISCOVERED IT WOULD NOT BE SO EASY WITH THE CHILD. AT THE BREAK OF DAWN, HE HAD STARTED AWAKE, HEARING A SMALL VOICE OUTSIDE THE DOOR, SAYING PLAINTIVELY, MOTHER! HE ROSE AND OPENED THE DOOR. SHE STOOD ON THE THRESHOLD, IN HER NIGHT DRESS, AS SHE HAD CLIMBED OUT OF BED, BLACK EYES STARING ROUND AND hostile, HER FAIR HAIR STICKING OUT IN A WILD FLEECE. THE MAN AND CHILD CONFRONTED EACH OTHER. I want my mother," she said, jealously accenting the my. "Come on then," he said gently. "Where's my mother?" "She's here, come on." The child's eyes staring at the man with ruffled hair and beard did not change. The mother's voice called softly. The little bare feet entered the room with trepidation. "Mother! Come my dear." The small bare feet approached swiftly. I wondered where you were," came the plaintive voice. The mother stretched out her arms. The child stood beside the high bed. Brangwen lightly lifted the tiny girl with an ups a daisy, then took his own place in the bed again. "Mother!" cried the child, as in anguish. "What, my pet?" Anna wriggled close into her mother's arms, clinging tight, hiding from the fact of the man. Brangwen lay still and waited. There was a long silence. Then suddenly Anna looked round, as if she thought he would be gone. She saw the face of the man lying upturned to the ceiling. Her black eyes stared antagonistic from her exquisite face, her arms clung tightly to her mother, afraid. He did not move for some time, not knowing what to say. His face was smooth and soft skinned with love, his eyes full of soft light. He looked at her, scarcely moving his head, his eyes smiling. "'Have you just wakened up?' he said. "'Go away!' she retorted, with a little darting forward of the head, something like a viper. "'Nay,' he answered, "'I'm not going. You can go.' "'Go away!' came the sharp little command. "'There's room for you,' he said. "'You can't send your father from his own bed, my little bird,' said her mother pleasantly. The child glowered at him, miserable in her impotence. "'There's room for you as well,' he said. "'It's a big bed enough.' She glowered without answering, then turned and clung to her mother. She would not allow it. During the day she asked her mother several times, "'When are we going home, mother?' "'We are at home, darling. We live here now. This is our house. We live here with your father.' THE CHILD WAS FORCED TO ACCEPT IT, BUT SHE REMAINED AGAINST THE MAN. AS NIGHT CAME ON, SHE ASKED, WHERE ARE YOU GOING TO SLEEP, MOTHER? I SLEEP WITH THE FATHER NOW. AND WHEN Brangwen CAME IN, THE CHILD ASKED FIERCELY, WHY DO YOU SLEEP WITH MY MOTHER? MY MOTHER SLEEPS WITH ME, HER VOICE QUIVERING. YOU COME AS WELL AND SLEEP WITH BOTH OF US, HE COAXED. MOTHER! SHE CRIED, TURNING, APPEALING AGAINST HIM. "'But I must have a husband, darling. "'All women must have a husband. "'And you like to have a father with your mother, don't you?' said Brangwen. "'Anna glowered at him. "'She seemed to cogitate. "'No!' she cried fiercely at length. "'No, I don't want!' "'And slowly her face puckered. "'She sobbed bitterly. "'He stood and watched her. "'Sorry, but there could be no altering it.' "'Which, when she knew, she became quiet.' He was easy with her, talking to her, taking her to see the live creatures, bringing her the first chickens in his cap, taking her to gather the eggs, letting her throw crusts to the horse. She would easily accompany him and take all he had to give, but she remained neutral still. She was curiously, incomprehensibly jealous of her mother, always anxiously concerned about her if brangwen drove with his wife to nottingham anna ran about happily enough or unconcerned for a long time then as afternoon came on there was only one cry i want my mother i want my mother and a bitter pathetic sobbing that soon had the soft-hearted tilly sobbing too the child's anguish was that her mother was gone gone yet as a rule anna seemed cold resenting her mother critical of her "'It was, "'I don't like you to do that, mother,' or, "'I don't like you to say that.' "'She was a sore problem to Brangwen and to all the people at the marsh. "'As a rule, however, she was active, lightly flitting about the farmyard, "'only appearing now and again to assure herself of her mother. "'Happy she never seemed, but quick, sharp, absorbed, full of imagination and changeability.' Tilly said she was bewitched, but it did not matter, so long as she did not cry. There was something heart-rending about Anna's crying. Her childish anguish seemed so utter and so timeless, as if it were a thing of all the ages. She made playmates of the creatures of the farmyard, talking to them, telling them the stories she had from her mother, counseling them and correcting them. Brangwen found her at the gate leading to the paddock and to the duck-pond. She was peering through the bars and shouting to the stately white geese that stood in a curving line, "'You're not to call at people when they want to come. You must not do it!' The heavy-balanced birds looked at the fierce little face and the fleece of keen hair thrust between the bars, and they raised their heads and swayed off, producing the long, can canking protesting noise of geese— "'rocking their ship-like, beautiful white bodies "'in a line beyond the gate. "'You're naughty! You're naughty!' cried Anna, "'tears of dismay and vexation in her eyes, "'and she stamped her slipper. "'Why, what are they doing?' said Brangwen. "'They won't let me come in,' she said, "'turning her flushed little face to him. "'Yeah, they will. You can go in if you want to.' "'And he pushed open the gate for her. "'She stood irresolute, "'looking at the group of bluey-white geese "'standing monumental under the grey-cold day. "'Go on,' he said. "'She marched valiantly a few steps in. "'Her little body started convulsively "'at the sudden derisive can can ank of the geese. "'A blankness spread over her. "'The geese trailed away with uplifted heads "'under the low grey sky. "'They don't know you,' said Brangwen. "'You should tell them what your name is.' "'They're naughty to shout at me,' she flashed. "'They think you don't live here,' he said. Later he found her at the gate, calling shrilly and imperiously, "'My name is Anna, Anna Lensky, and I live here, "'because Mr. Brangwen's my father now. "'He is, yes, he is, and I live here.' This pleased Brangwen very much. And gradually, without knowing it herself, She clung to him, in her lost, childish, desolate moments, when it was good to creep up to something big and warm, and bury her little self in his big, unlimited being. Instinctively he was careful of her, careful to recognize her and to give himself to her disposal. She was difficult of her affections. For Tilly she had a childish, essential contempt, almost dislike, because the poor woman was such a servant— the child would not let the serving-woman attend to her, do intimate things for her, not for a long time. She treated her as one of an inferior race. Brangwen did not like it. "'Why aren't you fond of Tilly?' he asked. "'Because, because, because—' "'She looks at me with her eyes bent.' Then gradually she accepted Tilly as belonging to the household, never as a person.' For the first weeks the black eyes of the child were forever on the watch. Brangwen, good-humoured but impatient, spoiled by Tilly, was an easy blusterer. If for a few minutes he upset the household with his noisy impatience, he found at the end the child glowering at him with intense black eyes, and she was sure to dart forward her little head like a serpent with her biting, "'Go away!' I'm not going away," he shouted irritated at last. "Go yourself. Hustle. Stir the sen, hop." And he pointed to the door. The child backed away from him, pale with fear, then she gathered up courage, seeing him become patient. "We don't live with you," she said, thrusting forward her little head at him. "You you're you're a boemaker." "A what?" he shouted. Her voice wavered but it came. A bowmakle Eh, and you're a co She meditated, then she hissed forwards her head. I'm not Not what? A co Makle No more am I a bowmakle. He was really cross. Other times she would say My mother doesn't live here. Oh, eh? I want her to go away. Then wants your portion, he replied laconically, "'so they drew nearer together. "'He would take her with him when he went out in the trap. "'The horse ready at the gate, he came noisily into the house, "'which seemed quiet and peaceful, till he appeared to set everything awake. "'Now then, Topsy, pop into thy bonnet.' "'The child drew herself up, resenting the indignity of the address. "'I can't fasten my bonnet myself,' she said haughtily. "'Not man enough yet,' he said. "'tying the ribbons under her chin with clumsy fingers. "'She held up her face to him. "'Her little bright red lips moved as he fumbled under her chin. "'You talk nonsense,' she said, re-echoing one of his phrases. "'That face shouts for the pump,' he said, "'and taking out a big red handkerchief that smelled of strong tobacco, "'began wiping round her mouth. "'Is Kitty waiting for me?' she asked. Eh? he said.' Let's finish wiping your face. It'll pass with a cat lick. She submitted prettily. Then, when he let her go, she began to skip, with a curious flicking up of one leg behind her. Now, my young buck-rabbit, he said. Slippy! She came and was shaken into her coat, and the two set off. She sat very close beside him in the gig, tucked tightly, feeling his big body sway against her, very splendid. She loved the rocking of the gig when his big live body swayed upon her, against her. She laughed a poignant little shrill laugh, and her black eyes glowed. She was curiously hard, and then passionately tender-hearted. Her mother was ill. The child stole about on tiptoe in the bedroom for hours, being nurse, and doing the thing thoughtfully and diligently. Another day her mother was unhappy— "'Anna would stand with her legs apart glowering, "'balancing on the sides of her slippers. "'She laughed when the goslings wriggled in Tilly's hand. "'As the pellets of food were rammed down their throats with a skewer, "'she laughed nervously. "'She was hard and imperious with the animals, "'squandering no love, running about amongst them like a cruel mistress. "'Summer came and hay-harvest. "'Anna was a brown, elfish mite, dancing about.' "'Tilly always marvelled over her more than she loved her. "'But always in the child was some anxious connection with the mother. "'So long as Mrs. Brangwen was all right, "'the little girl played about and took very little notice of her. "'But corn harvest went by, the autumn drew on, "'and the mother, the later months of her pregnancy beginning, "'was strange and detached. "'Brangwen began to knit his brows. "'The old unhealthy uneasiness—' The unskinned susceptibility came on the child again, if she went to the fields with her father, then instead of playing about carelessly, it was, "I want to go home, home. Why there's nob at this minute come? I want to go home. What for? What ails thee? I want my mother, thy mother, thy mother none wants thee, I want to go home. There would be tears in a moment. "'Can to find to road, then?' And he watched her scudding silent and intent along the hedge-bottom at a steady, anxious pace till she turned and was gone through the gateway. Then he saw her two fields off, still pressing forward, small and urgent. His face was clouded as he turned to plough up the stubble. The year drew on. In the hedges the berries shone red and twinkling above bare twigs. Robins were seen— Great droves of birds dashed like spray from the fallow. Rooks appeared, black and flapping down to earth. The ground was cold as he pulled the turnips. The roads were churned deep in mud. Then the turnips were pitted, and work was slack. Inside the house it was dark and quiet. The child flitted uneasily round, and now and again came her plaintive startled cry, "'Mother!' Mrs. Brangwen was heavy and unresponsive, tired, lapsed back. Brangwen went on working out of doors. At evening, when he came in to milk, the child would run behind him. Then, in the cozy cow-sheds, with the doors shut and the air looking warm by the light of the hanging lantern, above the branching horns of the cows, she would stand, watching his hands squeezing rhythmically the teats of the placid beast, "'watch the froth and the leaping squirt of milk, "'watch his hand, sometimes rubbing slowly, "'understandingly, upon a hanging udder. "'So they kept each other company, "'but at a distance, rarely speaking. "'The darkest days of the year came on. "'The child was fretful, "'sighing as if some oppression were on her, "'running hither and thither without relief, "'and Brangwen went about at his work, heavy, his heart heavy as the sodden earth. The winter nights fell early. The lamp was lighted before tea-time. The shutters were closed. They were all shut into the room with attention and stress. Mrs. Brangwen went early to bed, Anna playing on the floor beside her. Brangwen sat in the emptiness of the downstairs room, smoking, scarcely conscious even of his own misery, and very often he went out to escape it. Christmas passed. The wet, drenched, cold days of January recurred monotonously, with now and then a brilliance of blue flashing in, when Brangwen went out into a morning like crystal, when every sound rang again, and the birds were many and sudden and brusque in the hedges. Then an elation came over him in spite of everything. Whether his wife were strange or sad, or whether he craved for her to be with him, it did not matter. THE AIR RANG WITH CLEAR NOISES. THE SKY WAS LIKE CRYSTAL, LIKE A BELL, AND THE EARTH WAS HARD. THEN HE WORKED AND WAS HAPPY, HIS EYES SHINING, HIS CHEEKS FLUSHED, AND THE ZEST OF LIFE WAS STRONG IN HIM. THE BIRDS PECKED BUSILY ROUND HIM. THE HORSES WERE FRESH AND READY. THE BARE BRANCHES OF THE TREES FLUNG THEMSELVES UP LIKE A MAN yawning, taut WITH ENERGY. THE TWIGS RADIATED OFF INTO THE CLEAR LIGHT. HE WAS ALIVE AND FULL OF ZEST FOR IT ALL, AND IF HIS WIFE WERE HEAVY, SEPARATED FROM HIM, EXTINGUISHED, THEN LET HER BE, LET HIM REMAIN HIMSELF. THINGS WOULD BE AS THEY WOULD BE. MEANWHILE HE HEARD THE RINGING CROW OF A cockerel IN THE DISTANCE. HE SAW THE PALE SHELL OF THE MOON HE FACED ON A BLUE SKY. SO HE SHOUTED TO THE HORSES AND WAS HAPPY. If, driving into Ilkston, a fresh young woman were going in to do her shopping, he hailed her and reined in his horse and picked her up. Then he was glad to have her near him. His eyes shone, his voice laughing, teasing in a warm fashion, made the poise of her head more beautiful. Her blood ran quicker. They were both stimulated. The morning was fine. What did it matter that at the bottom of his heart was care and pain, It was at the bottom, let it stop at the bottom. His wife, her suffering, her coming pain, well, it must be so. She suffered, but he was out of doors, full in life, and it would be ridiculous, indecent to pull a long face and to insist on being miserable. He was happy this morning driving to town, with the hoofs of the horse spanking the hard earth. Well, he was happy if half the world were weeping at the funeral of the other half, and it was a jolly girl sitting beside him, and woman was immortal, whatever happened, whoever turned towards death, let the misery come when it could not be resisted. The evening arrived later, very beautiful, with a rosy flush hovering above the sunset, and passing away into violet and lavender, with turquoise green north and south in the sky, AND IN THE EAST A GREAT YELLOW MOON HANGING HEAVY AND RADIANT. IT WAS MAGNIFICENT TO WALK BETWEEN THE SUNSET AND THE MOON ON A ROAD WHERE LITTLE HOLLY-TREES THRUST BLACK INTO THE ROSE AND LAVENDER AND STARLINGS FLICKERED IN DROVES ACROSS THE LIGHT. BUT WHAT WAS THE END OF THE JOURNEY? THE PAIN CAME RIGHT ENOUGH, LATER ON, WHEN HIS HEART AND HIS FEET WERE HEAVY, HIS BRAIN DEAD, HIS LIFE STOPPED. One afternoon the pains began. Mrs. Brangwen was put to bed. The midwife came. Night fell. The shutters were closed. Brangwen came in to tea, to the loaf and the pewter teapot. The child, silent and quivering, playing with glass beads. The house, empty it seemed, or exposed to the winter night as if it had no walls. Sometimes there sounded, long and remote in the house, vibrating through everything, the moaning cry of a woman in labour. Brangwen, sitting downstairs, was divided. His lower, deeper self was with her, bound to her, suffering. But the big shell of his body remembered the sound of owls that used to fly round the farmstead when he was a boy. He was back in his youth, a boy, haunted by the sound of the owls, "'waking up his brother to speak to him. "'And his mind drifted away to the birds, "'their solemn, dignified faces, "'their flight so soft and broad-winged. "'And then to the birds his brother had shot, "'fluffy, dust-coloured, "'dead heaps of softness, with faces absurdly asleep. "'It was a queer thing, a dead owl. "'He lifted his cup to his lips. "'He watched the child with the beads.' BUT HIS MIND WAS OCCUPIED WITH OWLS, AND THE ATMOSPHERE OF HIS BOYHOOD, WITH HIS BROTHERS AND SISTERS. ELSEWHERE, FUNDAMENTAL, HE WAS WITH HIS WIFE IN LABOR. THE CHILD WAS BEING BROUGHT FORTH OUT OF THEIR ONE FLESH, HE AND SHE, ONE FLESH OUT OF WHICH LIFE MUST BE PUT FORTH. THE RENT WAS NOT IN HIS BODY, BUT IT WAS OF HIS BODY. ON HER THE BLOWS FELL, BUT THE QUIVER RAN THROUGH TO HIM to his last fibre. She must be torn asunder for life to come forth. Yet still they were one flesh, and still, from further back, the life came out of him to her. And still he was the unbroken that has the broken rock in its arms. Their flesh was one rock from which the life gushed, out of her who was smitten and rent from him who quivered and yielded. He went upstairs to her, As he came to the bedside, she spoke to him in Polish. "'Is it very bad?' he asked. She looked at him, and, oh, the weariness to her of the effort to understand another language, the weariness of hearing him, attending to him, making out who he was, as he stood there, fair-bearded and alien, looking at her. She knew something of him, of his eyes, but she could not grasp him. She closed her eyes. He turned away, white to the gills. "'It's not so very bad,' said the midwife. He knew he was a strain on his wife. He went downstairs. The child glanced up at him, frightened. "'I want my mother,' she quavered. "'Aye, but she's badly,' he said mildly, unheeding. She looked at him with lost, frightened eyes. "'Has she got a headache?' "'No. She's going to have a baby.' The child looked round. He was unaware of her. She was alone again in terror. "'I want my mother!' came the cry of panic. "'Let Tilly undress you,' he said. "'You're tired.' There was another silence. Again came the cry of labour. "'I want my mother!' rang automatically from the wincing, panic-stricken child that felt cut off and lost in a horror of desolation. Tilly came forward, her heart wrung. "'Come, and let me undress her then, pet lamb,' she crooned. "'You shall have your mother in the morning. Don't you fret, my ducky. Never mind, angel.' But Anna stood upon the sofa, her back to the wall. "'I want my mother!' she cried, her little face quivering, and the great tears of childish, utter anguish falling. "'She's poorly, my lamb. She's poorly to-night, but she'll be better by morning.' "'Oh, don't cry. Don't cry, love. "'She doesn't want you to cry, precious little heart. "'No, she doesn't.' "'Tilly took gently hold of the child's skirts. "'Anna snatched back her dress and cried, in a little hysteria. "'No, you're not to undress me. I want my mother.' "'And her child's face was running with grief and tears, her body shaken. "'Oh, but let Tilly undress you. "'Let Tilly undress you, who loves you. "'Don't be willful to-night.' "'Mother's poorly. She doesn't want you to cry.' The child sobbed distractedly. She could not hear. "'I want my mother!' she wept. "'When you're undressed, you shall go up to see your mother. "'When you're undressed, pet. "'When you've let Tilly undress you, "'when you're a little jewel in your nighty-love. "'Oh, don't you cry, don't you?' Brangwen sat stiff in his chair. He felt his brain going tighter. He crossed over the room, aware only of the maddening sobbing, "'Don't make a noise,' he said, and a new fear shook the child from the sound of his voice. She cried mechanically, her eyes looking watchful through her tears, in terror, alert to what might happen. "'I want my mother!' quavered the sobbing, blind voice. A shiver of irritation went over the man's limbs. It was the utter persistent unreason, the maddening blindness of the voice and the crying, "'You must come and be undressed,' he said, in a quiet voice that was thin with anger, and he reached his hand and grasped her. He felt her body catch in a convulsive sob, but he too was blind and intent, irritated into mechanical action. He began to unfasten her little apron. She would have shrunk from him, but could not, so her small body remained in his grasp while he fumbled at the little buttons and tapes, unthinking, intent, unaware of anything but the irritation of her. Her body was held taut and resistant. He pushed off the little dress and the petticoats, revealing the white arms. She kept stiff, overpowered, violated. He went on with his task, and all the while she sobbed, choking, I want my mother! He was unheedingly silent, his face stiff. THE CHILD WAS NOW INCAPABLE OF UNDERSTANDING. SHE HAD BECOME A LITTLE MECHANICAL THING OF FIXED WILL. SHE WEPT, HER BODY CONVULSED, HER VOICE REPEATING THE SAME CRY. "'HEY, DEAR-A-ME!' cried TILLY, BECOMING DISTRACTED HERSELF. RANGWIN, SLOW, clumsy, BLIND INTENT, GOT OFF ALL THE LITTLE GARMENTS, AND STOOD THE CHILD NAKED IN ITS SHIFT UPON THE SOFA. "'WHERE'S HER NIGHTY?' HE ASKED. TILLY BROUGHT IT, AND HE PUT IT ON HER. Anna did not move her limbs to his desire. He had to push them into place. She stood, with fixed, blind will, resistant. A small, convulsed, unchangeable thing, weeping ever and repeating the same phrase. He lifted one foot after the other, pulled off slippers and socks. She was ready. "'Do you want a drink?' he asked. She did not change. Unheeding, uncaring, she stood on the sofa, standing back, alone, her hands shut and half-lifted, her face all tears, raised and blind, and through the sobbing and choking came the broken, "'I want my mother!' "'Do you want a drink?' he said again. There was no answer. He lifted the stiff denying body between his hands. Its stiff blindness made a flash of rage go through him, "'He would like to break it.' "'He set the child on his knee "'and sat again in his chair beside the fire, "'the wet, sobbing, inarticulate noise "'going on near his ear, "'the child sitting stiff, "'not yielding to him or anything, "'not aware. "'A new degree of anger came over him. "'What did it all matter? "'What did it matter if the mother talked Polish "'and cried in labour? "'If this child were stiff with resistance and crying? "'Why take it to heart?' Let the mother cry in labour, let the child cry in resistance, since they would do so. Why should he fight against it? Why resist? Let it be, if it were so. Let them be, as they were, if they insisted. And in a daze he sat, offering no fight. The child cried on. The minutes ticked away. A sort of torpor was on him. It was some little time before he came to, and turned to attend to the child. He was shocked by her little wet, blinded face. A bit dazed, he pushed back the wet hair. Like a living statue of grief, her blind face cried on. "'Nay,' he said, "'not as bad as that. "'It's not as bad as that, Anna, my child. "'Come, what are you crying for so much? "'Come, stop now. It'll make you sick. "'I wipe you dry. Don't wet your face any more. "'Don't cry any more wet tears. Don't. It's better not to.' "'Don't cry. It's not so bad as all that. "'Hush now, hush. Let it be enough.' "'His voice was queer and distant and calm. "'He looked at the child. She was beside herself now. "'He wanted her to stop. "'He wanted it all to stop, to become natural. "'Come,' he said, rising to turn away. "'We'll go and supper up the beast.' "'He took a big shawl, folded her round, "'and went out into the kitchen for a lantern.' "'You're never taking the child out of a night like this,' said Tilly. "'Eh, hey, it'll quieten her,' he answered. "'It was raining. "'The child was suddenly still, shocked, "'finding the rain on its face, the darkness. "'We'll just give the cows there something to eat afore they go to bed,' Brangwen was saying to her, "'holding her close and sure. "'There was a trickling of water into the butt, "'a burst of raindrops sputtering onto her shawl, "'and the light of the lantern swinging, "'flashing on a wet pavement and the base of a wet wall. "'Otherwise it was black darkness, one breathed darkness. "'He opened the doors, upper and lower, "'and they entered into the high, dry barn "'that smelled warm even if it were not warm. "'He hung the lantern on the nail and shut the door. "'They were in another world now.' THE LIGHT SHED SOFTLY ON THE TIMBERED BARN, ON THE WHITEWASHED WALLS, AND THE GREAT HEAP OF HAY. INSTRUMENTS CAST THEIR SHADOWS LARGELY. A LADDER ROSE TO THE DARK ARCH OF A LOFT. OUTSIDE THERE WAS THE DRIVING RAIN. INSIDE, THE SOFTLY ILLUMINATED STILLNESS AND CALMNESS OF THE BARN. HOLDING THE CHILD ON ONE ARM, HE SET ABOUT PREPARING THE FOOD FOR THE COWS. "'filling a pan with chopped hay and brewer's grains and a little meal. "'The child, all wonder, watched what he did. "'A new being was created in her for the new conditions. "'Sometimes a little spasm, eddying from the bygone storm of sobbing, "'shook her small body. "'Her eyes were wide and wondering, pathetic. "'She was silent, quite still. "'In a sort of dream his heart sunk to the bottom,' leaving the surface of him still—quite still. He rose with the pan full of food, carefully balancing the child on one arm, the pan in the other hand. The silky fringe of the shawl swayed softly. Grains and hay trickled to the floor. He went along a dimly lit passage behind the mangers, where the horns of the cows pricked out of the obscurity. The child shrank. He balanced stiffly. "'rested the pan on the manger wall, and tipped out the food, "'half to this cow, half to the next. "'There was a noise of chains running "'as the cows lifted or dropped their heads sharply, "'then a contented soothing sound, "'a long snuffing as the beasts ate in silence. "'The journey had to be performed several times. "'There was the rhythmic sound of the shovel in the barn. "'Then the man returned, walking stiffly between the two weights. "'the face of the child peering out from the shawl. "'Then the next time, as he stooped, "'she freed her arm and put it round his neck, "'clinging soft and warm, making all easier. "'The beasts fed, he dropped the pan "'and sat down on a box to arrange the child. "'Will the cows go to sleep now?' she said, "'catching her breath as she spoke. "'Yes.' "'Will they eat all their stuff up first? "'Yes, hark at them!' And the two sat listening to the snuffing and breathing of cows feeding in the sheds, communicating with this small barn. The lantern shed a soft, steady light from one wall. All outside was still in the rain. He looked down at the silky folds of the paisley shawl. It reminded him of his mother. She used to go to church in it. He was back again in the old irresponsibility and security, A boy at home. The two sat very quiet. His mind, in a sort of trance, seemed to become more and more vague. He held the child close to him. A quivering little shudder re-echoing from her sobbing went down her limbs. He held her closer. Gradually she relaxed. The eyelids began to sink over her dark watchful eyes. As she sank to sleep, his mind became blank. When he came to, as if from sleep, he seemed to be sitting in a timeless stillness. What was he listening for? He seemed to be listening for some sound a long way off, from beyond life. He remembered his wife; he must go back to her. The child was asleep, the eyelids not quite shut, showing a slight film of black pupil between. Why did she not shut her eyes? Her mouth was also a little open. He rose quickly and went back to the house. "'Is she asleep?' whispered Tilly. He nodded. The servant woman came to look at the child who slept in the shawl, with cheeks flushed hot and red, and a whiteness, a wanness, round the eyes. "'God a mercy!' whispered Tilly, shaking her head. He pushed off his boots and went upstairs with the child. He became aware of the anxiety grasped tight at his heart because of his wife. But he remained still. the house was silent, save for the wind outside, and the noisy trickling and splattering of water in the water butts. There was a slit of light under his wife's door. He put the child into bed, wrapped as she was in the shawl, for the sheets would be cold. Then he was afraid that she might not be able to move her arms, so he loosened her. The black eyes opened, rested on him vacantly. "'sank shut again. "'He covered her up. "'The last little quiver from the sobbing shook her breathing. "'This was his room, "'the room he had had before he married. "'It was familiar. "'He remembered what it was to be a young man, untouched. "'He remained suspended. "'The child slept, pushing her small fists from the shawl. "'He could tell the woman her child was asleep.' but he must go to the other landing. He started. There was the sound of the owls, the moaning of the woman. What an uncanny sound! It was not human, at least to a man. He went down to her room, entering softly. She was lying still, with eyes shut, pale, tired. His heart leapt, fearing she was dead, yet he knew perfectly well she was not. HE SAW THE WAY HER HAIR WENT LOOSE OVER HER TEMPLES. HER MOUTH WAS SHUT WITH SUFFERING AND A SORT OF GRIN. SHE WAS BEAUTIFUL TO HIM, BUT IT WAS NOT HUMAN. HE HAD A DREAD OF HER AS SHE LAY THERE. WHAT HAD SHE TO DO WITH HIM? SHE WAS OTHER THAN HIMSELF. SOMETHING MADE HIM GO AND TOUCH HER FINGERS THAT WERE STILL GRASPED ON THE SHEET. HER BROWN-GRAY EYES OPENED AND LOOKED AT HIM. SHE DID NOT KNOW HIM AS HIMSELF but she knew him as the man. She looked at him as a woman in childbirth looks at the man who begot the child in her, an impersonal look in the extreme hour, female to male. Her eyes closed again. A great scalding peace went over him, burning his heart and his entrails, passing off into the infinite. When her pains began afresh, tearing her, he turned aside and could not look, BUT HIS HEART IN TORTURE WAS AT PEACE, HIS BOWELS WERE GLAD. HE WENT DOWNSTAIRS AND TO THE DOOR OUTSIDE, LIFTED HIS FACE TO THE RAIN AND FELT THE DARKNESS STRIKING UNSEEN AND steadily UPON HIM. THE SWIFT UNSEEN THRESHING OF THE NIGHT UPON HIM SILENCED HIM, AND HE WAS OVERCOME. HE TURNED AWAY INDOORS, HUMBLY. THERE WAS THE INFINITE WORLD, ETERNAL, UNCHANGING, AS WELL AS THE WORLD OF LIFE. End of chapter 2